Welcome to the Men of Iron Podcast, equipping men for growth in your faith, family, friends, fitness, and finances. Check out menofiron.org to learn more about how you can get involved in or support the vision of changing a culture one man at a time. Thanks for listening. Here's your host, Chad Zook. Welcome to the Men of Iron Podcast. I'm Chad Zook, the host of the show. This is episode 70. In this podcast episode, I talk to Patrick Morley. That name may ring a bell. He has uh, been regarded as one of the most respected authorities on the unique challenges and opportunities facing men. Through his speaking and writing, he has a tireless advocate for men, encouraging and inspiring them to change their lives in Christ. So he's been working with men for decades. His work began in 1986, actually. So that dates him a little bit, but also shows you just the the longevity of ministry that he has had. His work started with a Bible study called The Man in the Mirror. And what began really small now has expanded to over 10,000 men. It is online and has impact in all 50 states and in areas throughout the world. The Man in the Mirror Bible study then landed him into writing a book in 1989, and that book has been in print and now has four million copies being circulated worldwide. The Man in the Mirror has captured the imaginations of men worldwide and was selected as one of the hundred most influential Christian books of the 20th century. He is a high-level guest. In this podcast episode that is entitled That Voice in Your Head, we talk about Pat's latest book, and it's called The Four Voices. What Pat talks about is there are four voices that every man hears in his mind. And he he distills this so brilliantly to say that out of these four voices, if we learn to, to understand what that voice Set what the voice is saying, we can understand where the voice is coming from and if we should actually listen to it at all. So he says there's four different voices, but here's a little spoiler, only one of them is worth listening to. You're going to love this podcast episode, you're going to love what Pat has to say, and you would love that book if you got that, uh, if you got an opportunity to read. If you're a reader, The Four Voices, I found the book very rich and very helpful. Maybe you want to take this into your mentoring. Maybe you want to take this into your groups, spread this around uh, just in your circle of friends and share it. Maybe have just discussions based around it because it is so good. And Pat actually built this in such a way that it is for group study. So all of this would be really, really helpful. One thing that we're very thankful for at Men of Iron is this, the sponsors who partner with us. So today's sponsor, as we hear about our sponsor, I just want you to know we appreciate all the sponsors that we talk about. We hope that you, if you can, if you're in the market to do so, support our sponsors because when you support our sponsors, you support Men of Iron. You help us to stay on the air, to have these conversations, to be rich, to be deep, and to be helpful. And now, a word about our sponsor. This podcast episode is brought to you by Brookside Brothers, a full residential remodeler in the Lancaster area. They have been delivering quality craftsmanship for over 20 years. Following lifetime careers in residential construction, Troy and Todd Weaver formed Brookside Brothers in 1999. They grew up in the Mannheim community and much of their work has been done in those areas. They utilize an easy three-step process. They listen. They listen to your hopes and dreams to make them a reality for you. Then they collaborate. They partner with you, the client, to create effective solutions. And lastly, they build. 
but they build in such a way that you don't feel like a stranger in your own home throughout the building process. You can see the, a gallery of their work on Instagram at brookside.brothers on Instagram, or you can also just go to their website, brooksidebrothers.com. In there, you'll be able to see some other things that they've done, and also you can get a free quote. So check out Brookside Brothers. If you're needing a remodel, you need a, a small addition, maybe your kitchen needs redone, a bathroom, uh, maybe it's a, a mother-in-law suite, whatever it is that you need as far as your building and remodeling needs, they can do it. Brooksidebrothers.com is where you need to go for that. And if you love to support local businesses, like we love to support local businesses here at Men of Iron, then you maybe you needed to give Brookside Brothers a call and tell them that Men of Iron sent you. Today on the Men of Iron podcast, we sit down with Patrick Morley. Patrick Morley is someone who's been investing in tens of thousands of men all over the world for several years now, and it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today, Patrick. Thank you, Chad. An honor to be here with you and all the Men of Iron. You know, uh, just like we were talking about before I hit record, just, you know, you've had a profound impact on my life and my father-in-law. I actually came to Christ through uh, reading Man in the Mirror and allowed him to see himself in new light. And I believe that God used that in his life and mine and many others. And and here's the thing. I'm thankful that you didn't stop there. I mean, you wrote that in the late 80s, right? Yes, right. First first edition. Mm-hmm. And now you are you're 20 books deep and much more writing to go and conversations like these. So it's a it's a real treat to have you on and for you to talk about your new your your new work, your latest work called The Four Voices. But before we jump into all of that, if you could give maybe somebody who doesn't know who you are and would you rather be called Patrick or Pat? I uh, call me Pat. My friends call me Pat, so please call me Pat. Okay. Yep. Um, all right, Mr. Morley, that's what I'll do. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so thank you for that, Pat. So gracious. So, you know, just so, you know, all the listeners out there, maybe they don't know who you are and they're just trying to catch uh, up to speed. Just give us a brief rundown as to who you are, your context, married, grandkids. What does that look like for you? Yeah. So the story starts in uh, 1926. It sounds like, it sounds like the, I just blew your podcast up, right? <laughs> It's a quick story. Uh, In 1926, when my father was two years of age, the youngest of four children, his father abandoned the family. And my family has been trying to recover from that fateful decision ever since. My dad never felt the scratch of his father's whiskers, never heard his father reading him a bedtime story, never threw a ball in the backyard, never had his hair tussled or wrestled on the ground with his dad, never heard a truck door shut in the driveway at the end of the day, signaling that his dad was about to re-enter the family orbit. Mm-hmm. And so my dad was left to guess at what it meant to be a man, a husband, and a father. Mm-hmm. I'm very grateful that my dad wanted to break the cycle. Of course, they didn't talk like that back then, but he, he, was a, he wanted to be a cycle breaker. We became part of a church. Uh, the church, however, didn't really have a vision for what was happening. So when my father walked up to the front door of that church and stretched out his hand for the door handle, no one had considered what a holy moment that is. Just pause for, push the pause button on that. So this man's hand is now out in midair, just a couple of inches from the door handle. 
Let's just think about what's symbolized and signified there. First of all, just think about all of the prayers of all of the mothers and grandmothers and fathers and grandfathers who in some cases for years have been praying for that special holy moment to occur. And then think about uh, how God has sovereignly orchestrated all of the human events in that young man's life. And maybe he's got a wife and a couple of nice kids behind him. Uh, all of the sovereignly orchestrated events to bring that occasion to pass. And then think about the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms trying to prevent it. And then just think about within the man himself, the courage that it takes to be able to bring himself to that point. So it's a very holy moment when that young man, uh, in my case, my dad, reached out for the door handle of the church. Unfortunately, there were no people inside who understood the strategic holiness of that moment. Uh, and nobody had asked the questions like, you know, when a young man uh, brings his little family to our church, you know, why did he just do that? Hmm. What are the problems that he's trying to solve? Hmm. Uh, what does he need from us and how can we give it to him? Four great questions. Mm -hmm. So my dad had a great work ethic. He went to work when he was six to help support the family. And so uh, the, the church I grew up in kind of had that uh, idea, you know, of uh, let's do the work, but really never helped him with the reason that he came there. And that was to be discipled, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, to, to overcome this uh, unexampled fatherhood, if you will, and mm -hmm. unexampled manhood. So he was left to guess at how to do it. Well, he became the top layman in our church, but uh, wasn't so great at the family. I quit high school in the middle of my senior year. My next brother followed my footsteps. He died of a heroin overdose. Next brother didn't, never held a job until he was 50, <clears throat> which is when he became a Christian. My next brother uh, is a recovering alcoholic, divorced, and a hermit, like a, a real hermit. He has a job, but he's like, a technical hermit. Hmm. My dad just never saw it coming. Well, I had a different story, Chad. The church, when I reached out for that uh, door handle at my moment of despair, there were some men there who were ready for me. They were like special forces, elite black ops, covert commandos. <laughs> I mean, in reality, they were accountants and mechanics and doctors and people like, but, you know, with big smiles on their face. But, man, they might as well have been uh, wrapped in Kevlar and, you know, because they were total SEAL Team 6. I mean, they were all over me. They knew exactly why I was there and what I needed and how to give it to me. And they took me under their wings and discipled. They showed me how to be a godly man, husband, and father. And so I have a beautiful wife. Uh, I've been married. Ready, guys? 48 years. 48 years. Wow. Well, actually, uh, 48 years, three months, and 12 days. So, who's counting? Uh, yeah, but who's counting? <laughs> and uh, two children who are married, and we have five grandchildren. And we have a ministry called Man in the Mirror that developed out of that book uh, from a Bible study that started in a bar in 1986. And we now uh, work with men around the around the world we have area directors in over 30 states and etc cetera, etc cetera. wow that's amazing and you know what's what's really encouraging about that too is just you you're able now to rewrite you know your family's story 
And the legacy now, the legacy is different. This, those chains have been broken. And I know that there's guys out there right now who are in a similar situation that we didn't like for myself, didn't have a godly man around them or even a somebody who is a man around them. So what's a man to do in that situation? He's, you know, he's going to bumble around and he may get some things right, but undoubtedly he's going to get more things wrong. So I really appreciate you kind of sharing your story and, and really thinking about how you kind of leaning into what it was that God had for you in that moment. And now because of that whole ministry has been launched, you know, who knows, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of men have been impacted because the ministry is because God decided to rewrite the story. That's that's super encouraging for me. Yeah, and it's all God. I mean, I honestly, my my life sentence is because God is good. My life didn't turn out like I'd planned. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So. So you know, this the idea of fatherlessness is is an epidemic. It's grown to be an epidemic. I mean. This can be traced back even outside of the scriptures, but it can be traced traced back historically, the industrial age, after the industrial age. And men went to work in the factory. They weren't working at home. They would come home tired. And a lot of those roles that men had, those those traditional roles, and I don't say this tongue in cheek, I mean that in a, in a God-honoring way, a lot of those roles then got defaulted to other people. Sunday school and different things happened uh, because men weren't there. What what type of issues do you think that men face today that is maybe similar or different than what they were facing back then? Well, I'm going to uh, say something. You have to hear the whole sentence or two in order to to understand what I'm trying to say. I don't think there are any differences. Okay. I think our I think our our similarities as men dwarf our differences. The presenting problems in culture change, but the core affections of the human heart are the same as they were 1,500 years ago when Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Chad, men, if you're listening, why is it that a man today can pick up the book of Ecclesiastes and it doesn't make any difference if he's 80 or 60 or 40 or 20 or 15, he can read the words meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, a chasing after the web. When and it speaks to his heart, it's because the core affections of the human heart are the same as they've always been. I would like to get my hands on the person who came up with these uh, artificial words, boomer and X and millennial and Jesse, and I'd like to wring their neck. <laughs> I just, I, it's so annoying to uh, see the way that we're trying to separate people and create divisions, mm-hmm. where in, in reality our, our similarities dwarf our differences, mm-hmm. Chad. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with you there. I think that it is common with every man. I was just interesting, every man for all time, because it is an issue of the heart, right? That's the reason why Ecclesiastes, it's one of uh, the books of the Bible that's known as a, a wisdom book, part of the wisdom literature. Men, if you're not familiar, there's a few other books in, in the Bible that are considered part of the wisdom literature, and Ecclesiastes is one of those. And what Pat was just talking about is this phrase, everything is meaningless, everything is meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. In other words, it's saying there's a lot of things in this world that we can chase after, but they're not fulfilling. And, and I believe it's even in Ecclesiastes 3.11, I believe, uh, that, the, that the writer of Ecclesiastes, he points to an issue that we all have, that we have this, this space within our heart, a, a void within our life that can only be filled by God. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason why the author of, of 
Ecclesiastes, you get through all these things that says meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. And then you get to the very end. And he's like, but there's, but there's one conclusion I gained from, from this. Yes. And it's now everything has been heard. And here is the conclusion of the matter. Mm-hmm. Fear God and keep mm-hmm. his commands. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> but if you just jump right into Ecclesiastes, you're like, man, this is really negative. Really this like negative, 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 negative. He's like, what? this is a book of negativity. But yet you, he's building a case. And at the end, he just drops it. Yeah. And, and you just like that scripture that you quoted. Well, I know that you've written many books and, and this book that you've written, I found it very interesting and very timely, uh, timely in a bunch of different ways or a bunch of reasons. But why for you was the book for the four voices? Why was this important for you to write in this season of of what's going on in our world? Well, I'm a one trick pony. And men's discipleship is my trick. So mm-hmm. I can talk to you about anything you want to talk to me about as long as it's men's discipleship. <laughs> so I'm, I'm focused on helping men. Now, I've been working with you know, men for my entire adult life and uh, vocationally since 1991. So here's the bottom line. Uh, helping men find meaning, purpose in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the priority. But what we also see is that even among men who really want to do the right things, they, they want it. They, they still are struggling with voices in their heads that are leading them away from the life that they desperately want to live. And so I wanted to write uh, so that in the, in the Bible, there are four voices that are in our heads that are mentioned. And I didn't, uh, I'm not qualified to write a a book using uh, the behavioral sciences. My training is in business and theology. So I I just wanted to stick to what the Bible had to say about these voices in our head. But then also, and and more importantly, really give guys the tools, a bunch Mm -hmm. of tools that they could use to help make the adjustments. So of the four voices, uh, could you just kind of like, Tell us what those four are, and then we'll maybe drill down into those more specifically. Yeah. So, guys, here's the big picture. Uh, you and I, we, we all know that we have this running conversation with ourselves all day long. We call it self-talk, and uh, we need self-talk. It's how we take the little bits and pieces of everyday life and then forge them into a congruent story that helps us make sense of our lives. Here's the deal, guys. We're not the only voice up there. There are four other voices in our heads constantly exerting themselves to influence what we think, say, and do. The four voices in your head are the world, the flesh, the devil, and the Holy Spirit. Your job is to figure out which voice is speaking and make the adjustment. That's Hmm. the big picture. So for a guy who's brand new to the faith, and you just maybe he's never heard a message preached or listen to a podcast, or even read that in the Bible. Yeah. How, what would you? How would you help that guy? Just as a beginner's guide to maybe understanding the voice of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do that. <laughs> and by the way, that's uh, so. This book should span from all the way from mature servant leaders all the way down to guys who don't even know the Lord uh, yet. In fact, mm-hmm. I say somewhere in the introduction something clever. 
about, uh, I can't recall exactly what it is, but uh, the point is, is that even if you're not a believer at, at this particular point, I hope that you will find enough to, to put your faith in God and Jesus because of this. But if, if not, certainly I hope you'll understand more of how Christians view these things. And so uh, the, yeah, so the, the idea about the world itself, here's the big picture on the world. Uh, Pascal, uh, the French physicist and mathematician and theologian, Blaise Pascal, said that all men seek happiness. This is without exception. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who go and hang themselves. Mm. Happiness. And so to tease that out, he goes on to say, two young men, uh, war breaks out. One goes off to war to fight, but another stays home. And, but they both do it for the same reason. They think that that's the thing that will make them happy. Mm-hmm. So the world, uh, the Bible says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on basic human traditions and the principles of this world rather than on Christ. So what the, the world is luring us in, the, the world says, see this watch? You know, if you really want to be happy, this is what you need. This is what's going to make you want, uh, make, make you happy. It's buying this watch. This is, this is the secret, is having this watch. Basically, here's the message from the world. The world is telling you, if you are a believer, the world is telling you that Jesus Christ alone is not enough to make you happy. You're going to need something else. And that really is what it boils down to, right? It's it's just it's just whatever that something else is. And what's so so devious about this and this voice in in our head that is the voice of the world is man, it's just fine-tuned for us, for our personalities, for our likes, for our dislikes. There's always something out there that the world offers to to kind of put that voice in our head to say, if you would just have that, like some of the things that you mentioned uh, in, in the book, uh, and I'll, I'll say these so people still go by the book without giving all the good stuff away. So I'll just kind of touch these. Y- you said that the world offers freedom, fame, fortune, feel good, spirituality, personal truth, performance, and personal peace. All of these, like all of these things, whether it's spirituality or, or even fame being known, freedom, um, Brother, most of these things are actually good things. Yes. So, but what the world offers, I believe if, if this is what you're trying to say, is what the world offers is a counterfeit. Yeah. Is a counterfeit. Is that is that what you're trying to, to get across in the book? So what I am saying is yes, that and then uh, and then also the uh, in the book, uh, I I mentioned how I use a Venn diagram for any of your listeners who are familiar with that. That's the three overlapping circles uh, to show the overlap of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so they do overlap with each other. And so the world's saying, you, you're not going to be happy unless you have this. Well, then inside of us, we have something that's responding to that in the sinful nature. And then also the devil's over there cheering his son because he's trying to destroy what God wants to build, right? Mm-hmm. So we have this all going on. But, but in the book, of course, what I wanted to do is I wanted to separate out each of these four voices and take a closer look at them. And then we can let them we can let the waters go back together. Yeah. So 
so maybe there's a guy who's listening to this and, and, and some of it sounds familiar. Maybe some of it doesn't sound familiar, but maybe a guy is just, he's asking this question. Well, didn't Jesus come to make the world right? What could be wrong with the world? <laughs> well, here's the thing. Jesus did not come to restore the world to its pre-fallen state. Jesus came to bring his gospel, to introduce the kingdom. Uh, I did not say this in the book, but I'll say it here. Uh, the, uh, you know, life is an inch, and then, then there's forever. But life is an inch. The, uh, watch this, guys. Watch this closely. The earth is heaven's womb, and we are all in gestation. So when we become followers of Jesus, we're still in the world. We're not to be of the world. Someday we will be in heaven with God. But Jesus, for some reason, uh, he, he didn't check with me on this at all, by the way. He decided to leave us. <laughs> he decided to leave us in this world. And so we, uh, but, but he did that because of the harvest. So uh, can I just take a second and tell you, uh, about uh, this in Matthew 9, 36 to 38, uh, it says that Jesus looked on the crowds and was sickened by their depravity. Mm. Well, actually it doesn't say that. Mm. <laughs> it says Jesus looked on the crowds and he had compassion on them mm -hmm. because he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, like my dad when he reached out for the door handle of that church, like me when I was reaching out for the door handle of that church. Mm -hmm. And guys, in your communities right now, wherever you're listening to this, uh, there are men driving up and down the streets of your community, and they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've, my, my big thing in life is meeting with guys one-on-one, -on -one and Inevitably, when guys do have this feeling of being harassed and helpless, they're feeling like, you know, I just, I just feel like I'm alone. I don't feel like God cares about me personally. Not really. My, I don't feel like my life has a purpose. It feels random. I have these destructive behaviors that, that keep dragging me down. My soul feels dry. Uh, my most important relationships, they're not healthy. And then and then um, I don't really feel like I'm doing anything that's going to make a difference and leave the world a better place. And so these are these are the guys that that we have before us. And so Jesus looks on them and then he turns to his disciples and he says, he says, men, he's talking to you and he's talking to me. Everybody's listening is his disciple. Just just picture that Jesus is lined up on the side of the street and, and you we're all lined up beside him, shoulder to shoulder. And we're looking at all these harassed and helpless sheep. So what does he say? He says, the workers are plentiful, but the harvest is small. Actually, he doesn't say that. You know, you, you would think listening to people moan and groan today that, that Jesus didn't think there was much of a harvest. But he didn't say that the workers are plentiful, but the harvest is small. He said the exact opposite, guys. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the, the workers, workers are few. Yeah, I was sitting in a little church uh, uh, three weekends ago, 60 seats. I was sitting in the back. There were 12 people in, in the church. I had been there two years previous. The same 12 people were sitting there, the same 48 seats empty. I know those people love God. 
I know they want their church to flourish. I know that they want to make disciples. But I was sitting there and I'm thinking, why do these people, what would it take for these people to have an ache for the Mm. harvest? An ache for Mm. the harvest. Men, if you're listening, do you have an ache for the harvest? How do you get that? How do you get that? Well, I think one of the ways you get that is by getting the gospel underneath your skin. And uh, so, you know, that's, you know, I wrote this book. One of the things I want to do with this book is just help get this gospel under our skin a little bit more and see the reality of how the gospel is actually trying to work itself out in our everyday lives. You know, if you don't believe it, it's kind of hard to be excited about telling others. Or if you don't see the reality of it, it's kind of get hard to get excited about telling others about it. Well, and they're not going to be telling others about it, too, if, if the voices in their head are inundated with, with either the world you know, Satan or the flesh. I mean, it's just, if you're inundated with those things, it's because you're preoccupied with yourself, right? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And what, what I love about this, and really, uh, I kind of teed up, you know, that, that question about some guy asking, did Jesus make the world right? Uh, mm-hmm. I kind of teed that up because you talked about that a little bit in the book. And what yeah. you talk about from Luke 19, 11, is you said, it is Jesus came to do the, the exact opposite. Jesus didn't come to make the world right. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Yes. Which is which is people. And what's amazing about this, and guys, if you're listening to this, I'm just going to, Pat, you didn't say this, but I'm going to take your words and kind of, and just take it even a little step further. The amazing thing is when you have the gospel under your skin, like you're talking about, and you actually embrace discipleship, uh, in true discipleship with Jesus, the world does become a better place. It does as he works in and through you, but it has to get under your skin. And, and you have to come to this understanding that, that the world is, is opposing the work of God and that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, which was people. And so if, if you don't know who Jesus is, my hope and my desire is you would, that you would scour the scriptures, go into the gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, just go in and, and look at the life of Jesus. Some people consider it the biographies of Jesus. And you look at Jesus's life and what he says in there is he says his life is actually on offer for those who would repent of their sins and give themselves over to God. So that, that's an amazing thing for them to, to do. You also talk about in the book, you talk about the flesh, and the flesh, I think, is it's kind of one of those obscure things. When it comes to the world, we can we can put some terms on this. You know, the world, racism is part of the world. You know, materialism is part of the world. Bigotry is part of the world. Uh, male chauvinism is part of the world. Uh, different, you know, cultural dynamics that that you know that work or enslave people. Those that's of the world, and all of that ha- all of that is fed because of the lie that something will make you happy. And somebody's pursuing that happiness. So even if it's destructive, but I think when it comes to the flesh, it doesn't really bubble up to the surface as much in most people's mind and most men's mind. So how would you help a guy to understand that voice? Yes. Well, in first John chapter two, 15 to 17, it, it turns out that this particular voice, the voice of the flesh and by the guy, by the way, guys, flesh and the, and the, term the sinful nature. They're the same things. They're the exact same things. Some versions render it the flesh, some render it the sinful nature. But this particular voice has three dialects. One is the lust of the flesh. 
Two, the lust of the eyes. And three is the pride of life, the boastful pride of life. So when we think of the lust of the flesh, the first thing that comes to our minds, uh, obviously, is all of the, the sexual uh, temptations that we experience personally. So the world is certainly uh, doing its part. <clears throat> I, uh, I just recalled this. I, have, I haven't thought about this in years, but once about a time I was in Columbus, Ohio, recording some uh, video. And it's where they do the Victoria's Secret catalog. Wow. And so I said, this is very interesting. So I started asking the cameramen and the directors and producers a lot of questions. And I said, what does it take? What does it take to be a Victoria's Secret uh, model who actually gets a picture in the catalog? And they said, well, it, uh, it, obviously it's months and years of preparation on the part of the woman. But then we bring her into the studio and we uh, have her in makeup for, I forget what it was, like four hours. And then we will take uh, 300, 400 shots. And then after all of that, we'll, we'll pick the, the one single best shot out of that that we possibly can. And then we'll Photoshop it and doctor it in order to make it look good. So uh, yeah, so the flesh, uh, the world is doing its part to you know, get, get the flesh going. But the flesh is something inside of us. It's deeply embedded with us, mm -hmm. within us. And even when you become a Christian, Paul said in Romans 7, I do not understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. But what I do, you know, and, and vice versa. And, and who will deliver me from the body of this death? He said, thanks be to God in mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. So Christ can do that. But for whatever reason, in this life, the flesh is not completely cut out of us. I have a cat's claw vine growing on my oak tree in the front yard. And uh, if I let it go, it'll grow up to be 50 feet tall and overtake the oak tree. And I keep pulling it off. Well, why don't I just pull it out by the roots? Here's why. And guys, this is how the flesh works. So uh, the cat's claw vine has a bulbous root. And it has actually embedded itself inside the roots of the oak tree. So the only way I could get out the, 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 the bulb would be to destroy so much of the roots that I kill the tree. And so this is the way the flesh is with us. And so uh, mm -hmm. we have in, in Galatians chapter five says uh, the flesh uh, desires uh, or lusts against the spirit and the spirits against the flesh. Mm -hmm. so that you are not to do what you want. So Jesus knows that we have this condition and it's something that has to be managed. And that's why also in this, uh, this book, and, and, and by the way, I mean, I don't really care if anybody buys the book or not, as long as they figure out what, how, what these voices are and how to deal with them, right? Yeah. Uh, but in the book, I did, I've got a lot of disciplines and tools and virtues that, that men can think about and pick the ones that they might think work for them the best to help overcome the flesh. Yeah, I really appreciated uh, what you talked about, those habits and virtues, and you approach it in different ways. You mentioned in the world has a, you have a different way of, of addressing the voice of the world than you do the flesh or the devil or Satan, however somebody may term it up. And mm -hmm. so just a couple of, you just say, make the adjustment. I, I like that terminology too, and I'm sure it's very specific. Make the adjustment with habits and virtues, yeah. because we're already doing something. Everybody's already doing something. And we need to, in many ways, 
rehabituate ourselves Ooh, with like these that word, like that word, rehabituate yeah. <laughs> to to kind of re uh, really to to help our hearts to be more reformed into who God wants us to be. So you talk about habits and virtues, and one of those you talk about is prioritize friendship in a small group. So yeah. at Men of Iron, we're we're really big on five F's, and one of those F's is friendship. And we really specialize in mentorship. That's a, we love one-on-one or one-on-two types of things. We do some other things that you do in your ministry as well. And, but yet we, we make it a really big deal to say, hey, you need, you need friends in your life who are basically cheering you on. And of course, we know the scripture in Corinthians, a bad company corrupts good character. Uh, I believe that's true. And we need to align ourselves with friends. But some of these adjustments to me that you mentioned are really, really simple. I mean, they're by simple, it doesn't necessarily mean easy. What I mean is simple. It's I can do this. Prioritize friendship and a small group. That is not rocket science, guys. Like ways to help us to rehabituate our hearts, to be more in line with God's heart uh, and these virtues, whether it's practicing a lifestyle of repentance. I'm going to come back to this because I want to know more about that. Uh, personal disciplines, personal responsibility, personal accountability or service. These are types of things that, that the audience knows about. But I want to cycle back to this practice of a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance is a word, A, that if we've heard it, usually it has a negative connotation. I don't think it needs to. I think we need to bring back that biblical word in the day and age that we're in. That's my personal conviction. But I also think that it's secondarily, I think it's a word that not a lot of guys have heard in a positive way. So they haven't looked into it any further. So when you say practice a lifestyle of repentance uh, as just a way of making an adjustment through habit and virtue to counter and defeat that voice of the flesh, what did you mean and how would a guy do that? Okay, so let's uh, first of all, the word repentance, as you say, is uh, kind of a loaded term and be another way of saying it. Yeah. So what is it? Well, repentance really just means to to change or to change your mind or to change direction. So when Jesus said uh, that he, you know, repent and believe, he meant, you know, change your way, change your way. It wasn't like repent, you sinner. I mean, yeah. it probably I mean, it probably was. But, <laughs> but that's not the demeanor of Jesus. You know, he, right. he's the one that has compassion on us. Like, you know, we're like sheep without a shepherd, you know. Right. And, and so uh, I'm, I'm reading from the book because Martin Luther tapped or nailed these 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church. And some of you may have heard of the 95 theses. Some of you may have not. But when he did this, it was kind of like the shot heard around the world. Within 40 years of doing that, 50% of the churches in Europe had converted to Protestant. Hmm. And this is the first of those 95 theses. Okay, did I build it up? Here it is. Here it is. Martin Luther wrote, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. Elsewhere, he said somewhere that if you if you only think you need uh, uh, if you only think you're a little sinner, then you only are going to think you need a little savior. Mm. He said that the secret is to see yourself as a big sinner, sinner to understand that this flesh that's within you, 
this this lust that you have not just for not just for uh, sexual sexual lusts and so forth, but this lust that you have for for things, for money, for getting your own way, uh, for um, so many different things. Uh, the uh, idea is that uh, we should view all of these things as things of which we should repent and just have a lifestyle mm-hmm. of, uh, of repentance. Be committed to see ourselves as we really are and, that, and then let the godly sorrow that we feel uh, inspire deep change within us. Mm-hmm. And it works best as a moment-by-moment moment kind of a lifestyle as opposed to something we do you know, once every now and then. Yeah, I think sometimes we get caught up in like the, the John the Baptist mode of understanding or maybe interpreting repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. And John the Baptist is known as the last of the Old Testament like prophets. Mm-hmm. And he was he was just kind of that guy. And yeah. I think some of us are like stuck with that idea of repentance. And yet in other places in the Gospels, it tells us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So it's actually, it's a gift. It's God's kindness that allows us to change our mind, yeah. to be able to discern, oh, if here's a voice. That's a dissenting voice. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's, a, that's not, oh, I, I'm listening to it. It's not the world. Mm, this is lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh or the pride of life. Like I understand that voice because it's, it's part of my sin nature and I walk around with it all the time. So it's, it's the kindness of God that leads us to, to repentance, which to me, that's an, amazing, that's an amazing scripture. It's impacted my life in so many ways to really understand God's pursuit of us. And again, continuing the theme of what you talk about in the book in Luke 19, 10, that Jesus came to seek and save that which was which lost. And you know what? He's still seeking and he's still saving. And yet there's still that fallenness that responds to that voice of the flesh. Now, the, the third voice that you talk about is the devil. Yeah. So now the devil, you're talking about the red faced horns, right? That's what it, that the whole character on TV, or is this a different, is this a different voice? Tell us. Well, in one sense, he is the talking parrot. They cusses, cusses all the time and you can reach over with your fingers and flick him off. Uh, the the devil actually has uh, not nearly as much power as most people think. In fact, I think it's safe to say that his one of his greatest accomplishments is to create the illusion that he has more power than he really does. So the devil wants to destroy what God wants to build. We know that from from the Bible. Uh, is the devil even real? Well, Jesus certainly thought so. Of the 90 or so references to the word Satan or devil in the Bible, a third of them come from the lips of Jesus. Hmm. So uh, Jesus very definitely saw the devil as a, a, a real entity, a real being, not a social construct like you're talking about, you know, the pitchfork and all that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the first thing I wanted to make sure that men uh, had enough information to make their own decision, of course, on that. But uh, is the devil real? Because there are a lot of people that, you know, are questioning that these days. Uh, and so if we take the words of Jesus by faith, then uh, then we would uh, we'll come to the conclusion that, yes, the devil is is a, is a real being. Um, he's very he's, he's tricky. His uh, main weapons are deceit, doubt and despair. Uh, 
So we have a, a man at our Friday morning Bible study. I teach a Bible study on Fridays and um, his name is Fred. Uh, I don't think I put his name uh, in the book, but his name's Fred. Fred one morning was, we were talking and he said, you know, I, we're talking about this whole thing of forgiveness and so forth. And he said, you know, I know that God has forgiven my sins. I'm just having a hard time forgiving myself. Mm. Well, Chad, I sensed that the, the devil had been working on him. I, you know, it could have been something else, but I, I sensed the voice of the devil was working on him, you know, the half lie, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, or the half truth rather. And so, yeah. Um, so I asked him this question. I said, so you believe you're telling me you believe that God has forgiven your sins. Is that correct? Oh yeah. I definitely believe that. Now this is a guy who had done hard drugs. He'd been addicted to heroin for years. He's been clean for four years. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about having to overcome a lot of adversity to get to this point, but he, he said, yeah, I, I definitely believe that God has forgiven my sins. And then I said, but you say that you're also having a hard time forgiving yourself, right? He said, yeah, that's really the hard part for me. And then I said this. I said, so basically what you're telling me is that you have a higher standard for forgiveness than God does. And you could just see, you could just see the lights come on. And he took another step in his growth forward. But the, 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 the voice of the devil had, had him trapped. You see, had him stuck in that place where he couldn't forgive himself. He, I mean, he's, a, he's, you know, he's had several of these life-changing moments, but that was certainly one. Wow, that is a, that's a great story to really help a guy to, to understand. You know, we didn't, at first, when it comes to the topic of the devil or Satan, I think it's just like a bag of sacrete, right? And I yeah, think sure. somebody needs to go and pour some water on it to, to, to see it firm up. And I think that that idea just firmed up in someone's mind to say, um, you know, that we can, you know, we can impose a lot of, we can actually bring a lot of these issues if we start believing these, these half truths. And like you, like you said, and you corrected yourself, um, that a half truth is a lie. Yeah. And because that's what Satan does. He's the deceiver. He, he's going to give you just enough truth to make you want to listen, but yet there's a lie that's woven through it. And we have to know the difference. Yeah. One of the things that, that you talk about to overcome this is, is really it could be founded or it is founded in, uh, in Ephesians 6 and talking about the armor of God. And you, you drilled down on that specifically, and I really appreciated the way that you did that. Um, and there's a lot of other books that go into even greater depth in talking about the shield of faith, gospel of peace, the word of God, prayer, righteousness, the truth, how these things um, can help a man to overcome that that voice but of of the six that you mentioned in the book and again i'll refresh your memory it's oh, true yeah. okay okay um but we've had a, we've had a long conversation so i was just trying, yeah. <laughs> trying to help you so <laughs> right, uh, of those um so of those which one do you think is which one do you believe that that men struggle with the most well i believe the one that men struggle with the most is the one they struggle with the most <laughs> so for for some guys it, it is the word of god i don't know if you are aware of this but 80 and men i'm talking to you if you're listening today 80 percent of the people in the world are oral communicators wow they don't read or some of them can read and choose not to 80 percent are oral communicators 
So what they are doing is they are they're processing the word of God differently than we are. Mm-hmm. So when they hear the word of God, they're focused on mem- remembering it and mm-hmm. being able to memorize it and so forth. I do think a lot of guys have uh, trouble reading the word of God. Uh, I have this saying, uh, and uh, it's in another book of mine, but uh, here's the saying, a Bible, a small group, and serving someone else will solve 90% of your problems. Mm. So I really do think that if I was going to focus on any one thing, it would be the, the, the word of God in terms of the armor of God. It's just amazing. And guys, if you're listening, Chad, you know, this is true. You know, you, you, you're reading along and, and I, I'm on my 34th year reading the Bible cover to cover. And it's, it's as fresh this morning as it was, you know, fresher <laughs> than it was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I'm reading along in Psalms this morning and my heart is just quickened. And I, I find myself highlighting, I'm using a, you know, a digital Bible. So I'm highlighting, you know, the scripture and I'm opening a note file and writing notes and everything. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. I, how come I never saw the scripture before? But it really impacts me deeply and I want to change. I want to repent. I want to be different. Yeah. Well, and that's just, uh, you know, that's combining the, the word of God and the spirit of God. Yeah. So that's the last voice you talk about. And, and unfortunately, we're running out of time. We, we probably should have another podcast just talking about this voice, the voice yeah. of the Holy Spirit, because we talk about the three maybe negative sides. We have given some guys some help, though, along the way. Oh, yeah. But, but when we talk about the, you know, we need the word of God and also to be able to, to hear the voice of God. And that's the Holy Spirit. So you, the last voice <clears throat> is the spirit. What would you like to talk? We have a couple of minutes left in the podcast. Uh, what would you say are the kind of the key essentials to understanding the voice of God through the spirit of God? When I brought my first Harley home, <clears throat> I was so excited to get up the next morning and take it out on a ride. So I got up early and got all set to go, went to crank it. It wouldn't turn on. Yeah. So I, I jiggled the ignition switch. Nothing. I checked the gas. Nothing. Uh, I looked at the battery cables, took them off, put them back on, made sure they were connected correctly. <clears throat> and Chad, I was reaching the boiling point. I mean, you know. Oh, I bet. So <clears throat> when when it, when it finally got time where the dealership would open up, I called and I said, said, I can't believe this stupid motorcycle. You basically have sold me a 650-pound paperweight. <laughs> this thing won't start. I don't want it anymore. Come and get it. I really was throwing a temper tantrum. And uh, <clears throat> the uh, <clears throat> the customer service rep was very uh, calm. I said, "Well, can I ask you a few questions?" I said, "Sure." He said, "Well, did you uh, did you jiggle the ignition switch?" I said, "Well, of course I jiggled the ignition switch. Did you make sure there was gas in it?" "Yes, I made sure there was gas in it." "Did you make sure the fuel cock was on?" "Yes, I made sure the fuel cock was open." "Battery cables?" "Yes, I checked the battery cables." How about the, uh, did you turn on the little uh, ignition switch on the handlebars? I said, ignition switch on the handlebars? What are you talking about? Well, it turned out there is a, a, a second ignition little switch on the handlebars. And I didn't know that. And so <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing, guys. With, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, you can have all the spirit there is, but if you don't know how to turn him on inside your life, 
then you're going to not be able to take advantage of, of the power of his voice, which, by the way, is exponentially, maybe infinitely more powerful than all the other three voices combined. And so what I really focus on in this book, and I have two chapters in the book on the Holy Spirit, because I really want guys to understand how to turn on the Holy Spirit, how to be filled with the Spirit, how to walk in the Spirit. And then, uh, and then just really, uh, I, the last chapter is, a, is a, a letter to you from the Holy Spirit, where uh, I just take basically right back scripture to them and just really help guys feel the love and the presence and the joy that God has in them. Yeah, super, super encouraging. And, and guys, I just want to, you know, I, I could not encourage you more. Get the book, read it, uh, put it into practice. And what I love about the end of the chapters, it's one of those books that you go through a chapter. It's not meant to just be devoured quickly. You actually, at the end of the chapters, you have uh, a little bit of work. It's not an overwhelming amount of work, but you have a little bit of work there to apply what you're reading. And at the end of the day, that's what we're about at Men of Iron. It's not just to listen to this podcast or purchase curriculum or uh, go through some spiritual practice. You actually have to apply what you read. You have to apply what you hear. And I'm grateful, Pat, that you added that in to the end of your chapter because that's what guys need. And guys, you know this better than I do, but guys don't just want to hear things in some theoretical sense. They want to know it's practical. Yeah, and I would also add to the, these three questions at the end of the chapter, the same format in every chapter, reflection, knowledge, application, reflection, application, knowledge, knowledge application. And so it can be done individually. It can be done in small groups. I've, I've All 22 books I've written have been done in such a way they can be done in small groups. There's a discussion leader's guide at the end if you want to start a small group or improve the one you have. And then uh, also, Chad, we put this into our Books by the Box program. So... Uh, coming up and, uh, you know, Father's Day is coming up and all this kind of stuff. So uh, you can get these books in the Books by the Box program for, are you ready? In cases of 48 for about a dollar 85 cents a piece. So, wow. so basically, you know, we're at cost and give them to the men in your churches or give them out in your you know, groups and friends and so forth. Uh, cases of 12 and 48 books, and they can get more information on that at, uh, at our website, maninthemirror.org, uh, or they can go to booksbythebox.org, either one, and find out about that in other books as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that because, uh, again, Father's Day is coming up. That's a great thing. So if you're a church leader, you're listening to this, maybe give uh, your men's minister or your pastor, associate pastor, whoever does men's ministry at your church, maybe it's you. Give that a look and maybe the, uh, you know, the buy a box of books, hand that out instead of handing out some other little trinket that guys are probably going to throw away at the end of the service. Um, but maybe hand the book out. It's cheap enough where you can just as a little gift for them. But it's a gift that keeps on giving so they can actually be refreshed and know those four voices. Well, Pat, I just want to say again, thank you so much for your contribution to my life and men like me and men's ministry. Thank you for heading up, uh, you know, Man in the Mirror and doing all of that incredible work, leading that team. And we're grateful for your time today. Chad, it has been a, a true pleasure. I, I can't tell you how buoyed my spirits are by hearing your testimony, your story about you and your dad, uh, your father-in-law. And so what's his first name, by the way? Joe. Joe, would you please greet Joe for me and give him my regards? Yes. And I'm so happy that... Uh, Jesus is in his life. Amen. Amen. 
Well, uh, again, thank you so much. I look forward to uh, maybe carving out some time in the future. I think that you and I could probably sit down and record a podcast on a weekly basis. If we, we, could. Allowed, <laughs> we just because, could. Just because I think that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're on the... We're clicking. We're clicking. <laughs> we are. Yeah. We are. I'm grateful for you and continue the good work. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. I hope so. I hope so, Chad. God bless you, man. This Men of Iron podcast is brought to you by Men of Iron. If you're interested in getting involved in or supporting the vision of changing a culture one man at a time, or you simply want to know more about our Strong 27 mentorship experience, Equilibrium retreats, Anchored Man video series, or Men of Iron Plus, go to menofiron.org.